0: Without further
1: ado! That's what the game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. Oh, <laughs> just leave it up there. He, he couldn't again. make that if he tried that again. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. He's to pull Let's go!
0: Welcome to Buckets. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, joined by my colleague, NBA futures analyst, Brandon Anderson. This is your How to Bet Coach of the Year episode. We're breaking down all of the NBA awards, not just from a picks perspective. Don't worry, we're going to get you those picks, but from a how to bet perspective. Okay, we're going to look at the process of elimination for who you should not consider. What are the requirements, at least from the previous winner's perspective? What have been the standards across various variables? To look at as well as how do you bet it in season what's the good timing for it all that and more on today's show a reminder that everything we talk about can be found in the award-winning action network app the best way for you to track your picks get up to the second information or where the bets and money are coming in on the award-winning action network app with the new media center that's got this podcast along with all of our videos All of our stuff. It's going to have heat checked during the year. All sorts of great stuff coming for you in the NBA season. Download the Action Network app right now. And if you haven't, now's a great time for you to leave us a five-star review. Leave us those Apple five-star reviews. They help push us up the rankings. We've built quite an audience here at Buckets. We're super proud of it. And we're giving away stuff. We're giving away swag. We're giving away T-shirts. We're giving away hoodies. And we're giving away one year of Action Pro that gets you all sorts of added benefits on the Action Network app. If you leave a five-star review and you get randomly selected, you can win one like MH1993, who left us this review. Haven't listened to that many hoops podcasts before this one, but now I listen to every show. Love the breakdowns from Matt, Brandon, and Joe. Shout out Joe. When they explain what defenses teams are running and how opposing teams would counter it. This podcast has changed the way I talk basketball. That's awesome to hear, man. Make sure to hit us up at podcast at actionnetwork.com. Just email podcast at actionnetwork.com to get your free sub. Please continue to rate review. This podcast means a lot to us and we want to show our appreciation, but also you can download that award-winning app. Thanks so much for, for all your support. Now let's get cracking. Brandon. You're on vacation, although you've had uh, a series of maladies that have befallen you. So you are barely here with us, but we are glad to have you. (laughs) We're going to talk coach of the year today. And let's go ahead and start here because uh, you, as usual, have done an incredible amount of prep work and awesome stuff getting set for us. And you've got your rules for us to figure out who to consider for coach of the year. Let's start right there. What are Brandon Anderson's rules for betting coach of the year?
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I am fresh off a of root canal just a few hours ago. So we, I actually had a mini version of the podcast with my dentist. He already got the whole fill in. He's got the pick ready to go. He's already locked and loaded. So you guys will be able to get your pick into uh, Matt, you know, from my, my history with these awards, basically, I like to look at the recent history. For this one, I'm going back to 2011. For me, that's kind of, to me, like the, the modern era basketball. Like that's the, when LeBron went to Miami and kind of forward. So 2011 to forward, we've got 12 years of winners. And I just try to find patterns. What am I seeing? What looks similar from year to year in these awards? So I've got three uh, rules that I use for betting coach of the year. And like usual, we have these rules with rookies as well. We'll have them with some of the other awards coming up. So the rules start out very general and they get a little more specific as we go. So rule number one. Are you ready for this coach of the year must win a lot of games hey what a great rule right now here's what that means it's obviously you're not going to give a coach of the year to the guy that won 25 games we know that that's not what this is saying however coach of the year is not overachiever of the year we like to get excited about these guys who you know for example i personally if i had a voter ballot. Probably would have voted for JB Bickerstaff and the Cavs last year for taking a team that most of us, myself included, had basically just out of the running, like bottom of five in the league, and had them very much in the playoff mix all year. That impressed me. That it didn't put a dent in the voting. It's not overachiever of the year award. Here's the numbers: these last twelve years, coaches who win average a sixty-win pace during the twelve years. Hmm. So that's pacing up for the you know the shortened seasons for various reasons. Six of the 12 who won coach of the year won at least 60 or paced to six or sorry, six, won 60, two more paced to 60 wins. And one had 59 wins. Obvious outlier Tom Thibodeau two years ago, 47 win pace. That was the lowest win percentage since 2007, the lowest this century for coach of the year. So that was a big outlier. And we'll talk at the end, of course, is, is the outlier saying the trends are changing. Is the trend still there Basically, what the trend tells us is every winner other than Tibbs, the last 11 or 12 years, 55 win pace or better. So hopefully 60, at least 55. That's kind of the gate. If you can't see 55 wins, you probably shouldn't be betting it.
0: So good start. (laughs) It's a good starting place. You should probably win some games. you are going to win coach of the year. (laughs) Um, I think last year is maybe very, I think, indicative and telling, and this I think is going to it's going to influence our how we look at the next two rules on your list because you mentioned Bickerstaff. Um, Tibbs is really the exception, I think, of a coach that that did kind of break the rules of not winning that many games. And so even if you have a coach where it's like, look at what they did, like look at where this team was and look at where they are now, that just doesn't, even though everyone's like, oh yeah, he did a really great job. it just, you have to be one of these elite teams, um, which I'll also mention, is dumb. It's really dumb. It, it is. Yeah. It's really dumb because oftentimes these are like loaded teams with lots of talent, which isn't to say that coaching talent isn't hard because I maintain consistently that I think coaching superstars is really difficult. I think Eric Spolster should have won coach of the year in 2013 with that heat team. Uh, however, it hasn't like regardless of whether it should or not, it hasn't. So. Uh, You're right, that that 55, that 61 pace is crazy. Like, that's a really high number. And that's going to give us, I think, some strong indicators when we get into how to bet during the season of when we can kind of look to pace that. Uh, What's rule number two?
1: Rule number two, again, not earth shattering, but we'll unpack it. Rule number two is you got to be better than last season. You got to be better by a lot. So, here's how that plays out. All 12 coach of the year in this span since 2011, every one of them has improved their winning from last year to this year. Again, all talking about win rates to to even out the season. So a two-game pace, not just improve, but these 12 coaches, each one has improved, and they've improved by an average of almost 11 wins. 10.8 wins this year more than last year. Here's some examples. Tibbs, 26 wins to a 47-win pace. Coach Baud has won it twice. The Bucks went 44 to 60. The Hawks went 38 to 60. Tibbs Bulls, 41 to 62. So, Monty last year, slight outlier. They were at a 58-win pace. They went to 64. So, he did improve, but not by that 10 or 11 wins. However, Phoenix did lose four of their last six. They were basically just coasting at the end, and the award was you know, totally wrapped up at that point. So basically what we need is a team that's going to win 55 or 60, but who also didn't do that already last year. So you can't just say, okay, well, who's the best team? Well, I think Boston's the best team. I'll take them for coach of the year. We already know Boston is good. So historically that has played in too. Well,
0: it's interesting that you mentioned that because I actually looked this up. Kerr is the only favorite since 2015 to win the award. So in the last seven years, Kerr is the only favorite that started off the season at a minus number to win it. And we've had quite a few at plus at 10 to one or greater. So there's not like this indication of like, this is just a fate, complete award. Sometimes you can kind of signal like most improved or like CJ McCollum with most improved is an obvious pick Um, MVP. Some of these, I think there is like a little bit of foreshadowing, honestly coach of the year. I'm not convinced that that is like, I don't think that coach of the year is an award that you start off and go like, Oh, uh, it's, you know, this team's obviously going to be great. And so you can just tack it on. I think that factors into that conversation as well. What's rule number three?
1: Okay, so rule number three is similar, but this is where our our, uh, our Vegas and our lines come in. It's not just that you need to win a lot of games. It's not just that you need to be better than last year. You also need to surprise us. You need to outperform expectations by a lot. This is the narrative portion of this award. So the way to measure this Check the over under line. We've got totals out now for, I believe, almost every team. Are we missing Lakers still at this oh, point? We got them
0: out. We got them out. All right. So out. we've
1: got lines for every team. So here's the numbers all 12 coach of the year since 2011 have beat their over under expectation. Probably not surprising there. They've crushed it. They are beating that line by an average of 12.1 wins above the line. So some numbers again. Monty last year, the Suns were good. Yeah, they made the finals the year before, but they went 12 and a half wins over expectation. Matt, you may recall, we were not on the right side of that one. We were expecting that Phoenix regression. They, they were good. <laughs> so plus 12 and a half. Tibbs the year before, 20 wins over the Vegas expectation. The Bucks 12 over. Raptors, 11 over. Rockets, 11 over. Even the Warriors, when Steve Kerr won, when they won 73 games, that was still 13 wins above the line. So all 12 coaches have gone at least six and a half wins over the posted line. All but two are at least plus 10 on the line. So basically to conclude the rules together, what we're looking for is a team that was already good, but not great. And then I expected to be great, but they're going to be. So basically we want a team probably in the 40 to 50 win range, preferably not quite a 50 that we really believe can jump to 55 or 60 wins.
0: All right. So let's start eliminating some teams. Yes. Based, off of, based off of those categories, the Celtics are at 54 and a half. Now, if Ime Odoka wins 65 to 70 games, he's going to win coach of the year. 100%. So if you think that the Celtics are going to go, are going are gonna to challenge for 70, by all means, you should be throwing some money on Ime Odoka as well. Then you could probably just go for, reg- for best regular season record or an alternate total on the over-under and go that route. But if you want to go it, because your numbers will be pretty good, uh, on, on coach of the year for Odoka, uh, you've got coach of the year, Odoka's the favorite, but he's still plus 700. So if you think that they're gonna win, but that's what we're talking about here is like 65 to 70 wins based off of uh, the regular season win total marker. Uh, Bucks, same deal, 52 and a half, Suns, 52 and a half. I have a hard time seeing money going back to back, uh, Clippers. 52 and a half. That one's really interesting because everybody loves Ty Lu as we've talked about many times on this show. That one's we'll, let's put that one aside for a second. Ties at 52 and a half, though. 63 wins, 64 wins. That's maybe possible. I don't expect it, but like potentially. Yeah. Uh Warriors 51 and a half. Hard to see what Kerr could do next year to really earn it based off of the narrative concept of this. Now from the bottom, obviously we're like, we'll just go ahead and just cut this out where uh yeah. Knicks, Hornets, Wizards, Jazz, Kings, Pistons, Thunder, Magic, Pacers, Rockets, Spurs. Not going to win enough games. Those are all sub 40. Uh, if you think any of those are going to challenge suddenly for a fifth. For, again, the average winner was 60 was on a 60 game win pace. 61. You need to what do you think is like the minimum you need to be able to project for this? Like, given that we do have the outlier Tibbs, like what's like a, what's like the lowest bar that you
1: can. I I think 55 is the the number every coach other than Tibbs had been at a 55 win pace. So if you can't see an Avenue to get at least to 55 and hopefully clear that you're, gotta be out. So I I will say here on when I did this last year, I had Cleveland in that mix of teams of like 10 teams. Let's throw them out. That's it. That's as much interest yep. as Cleveland got for me on this one. But guess what? Cleveland was really good. They were really good. They improved a lot. They didn't sniff 55 wins and they didn't win the award. Yeah. So yeah. Y- even in a year where bigger staff was great, the rules still kind of ruled him out correctly.
0: So based on the, on the winning on the, the regular season wins total uh, from the Vegas perspective, yeah. Chauncey Bell to the Blazers at 40 and a half. Talking about a 15 game jump, 42 and a half for the Cavaliers, Bulls at 43 and a half, Raptors at 44 and a half, Pelicans at 44 and a half, the Nets at 45 and a half, <laughs> the Atlanta Hawks at 46 and a half, the Timberwolves at 47 and a half, the Heat at 48 and a half, the Mavericks at 48 and a half. The Grizzlies at 48 and a half. Taylor Jenkins was runner up last season. Uh, the Sixers at 49 and a half and the Denver Nuggets at 49 and a half wins. So if you look at that, you're talking about the Nuggets, the Nuggets and Sixers would have to, based off of the model that that Brandon's laid out, would have to get to 61-ish wins based off of the 11-game jump. Does a jump from 49 and a half to 58 get them home? I think probably. Like yeah. I think they're in that
1: conversation. Yeah, sure. Certainly, it gives you a top three candidate, I think. Yeah. You know, if, if you are, you're, you're the one seed in all likelihood. And again, you might be a Monty Williams situation last year where he didn't actually get to the, the 10 wins over that we needed, but he effectively did. They were so good and so far ahead of everyone that we basically treated it as though he had been. Uh, let me give you just a couple other little bullet things here to rule out a couple more people. So, number one, you said you didn't see Monty going back-to-back. We've never, ever had a back-to-back Coach of the Year. So, Monty's out. We also, I was surprised to see this, Greg Popovich is the only coach who's won Coach of the Year with the same team more than once since Don Nelson in the 80s. So, that takes out Steve Kerr with the Warriors. That takes out Budenholzer with the Bucs. That, again, would take out Monty, obviously, I believe there's another team or two that I'm blanking on, but that, that rules a few more out. A couple other things. Three of the last six coach of the year were first-year coaches on that team. That's not helpful this year because here's our options. Sacramento, nope. Utah, nope. Charlotte, nope. The Lakers. Darvin Ham is plus 4,000 at Bet Rivers. There's never been a LeBron coach to win coach of the year. We have not a Lakers coach win in 25 years. I don't see it, but that's the only first year that fits. However, Six of the last eight coach of the year were in their first two years. So there are, that does give us a few more options there. Last note, this is one where this is going to drive my choices here as we start to talk about picks. Eight of the last nine coaches of the year finished top six in defensive rating. And for me, when I look at regular season and some of these awards and especially team seating, defense travels. And defense gives you a high floor so that those nights when the shooting goes cold or somebody's missing or whatever, teams with good defense, we see them fail in the playoffs if the offense didn't show up. But we're just doing regular season here. My winners I'm looking for here, I'm, I'm looking for a top defense. Top six is a
0: tough one. I think that we've seen a, a few teams, the Cavs again, were another good example of this, right? We're like, they're a top six defense, but it wasn't enough. Like, look at, think about this. We've got performance over win total expectation. Check. We've got year over year jump, check, top six defense, check, first year, second year head coach really for JB. Check. Okay. So he hits all these boxes, still doesn't win because he doesn't hit to that 50 five. Like your rule number one here, I think is really interesting because it does, and this like really does color the way I'm gonna bet this award. You can't be like, yeah, but he did the most with the with the least. It doesn't matter. You have to be an elite team. Like that's just how they're gonna vote for it, which is annoying. Because that's doesn't make a lot of sense. The whole thing should be like, didn't, my thing with JB is I'm just like, look at what they had on the raw. Darius Garland was their best player. And I love Darius Garland this year. Kevin Love was like left for dead and was sixth man. Like he got a rookie to be a defensive player of the year candidate. What are we doing? But Monty won a ton of games. And so here we go. Before we get to our picks, and we have them for you, I want to talk about when to bet this award. So we're going to bet preseason because you get the long odds, right? We've talked about this with Alex on the previous two episodes about how you're getting. And I think you are getting good numbers now. Um, as always, Brandon likes to take one shot. And then basically, if he's in a good spot, a really good spot, he'll hedge later. But it's going to take like an absolute like no brainer hedge from him to get him to do it. <laughs> I am let's build a position and grow it throughout the season. This is not when I grow a lot. Um, I take various, like I'll take, I'll take hits and shots. Like I bet Bickerstaff. And then I hedged money against Bickerstaff when I did a poll of, which we published on action yeah. network and talked about in the podcast. Like I polled some voters and they're like, yeah, it's money. It's money or Spo." So yeah. I bet those two and hedged up versus Bickerstaff and it, it made not a great profit, but I like, I'm always looking for like, I'm okay with lower ROI on these type of things, given the instability of the voters. As far as timing on this goes, I would tell you, do not start betting this until after you get through preseason. Don't start betting it until at least December 15th. And the reason is in the month of October and November, you have teams that get off to a really hot start. And then in December, they become what I call mirror teams. And the mirror teams are teams that start off really awesome and are like, this is our year and we look so great and like things are different. And then some point in December, they look, they just accidentally catch their reflection and they go, oh, oh, no, no, we're not good. No. And then they just kind of shrink back to form. We've seen it. A lot of teams like the Kings have done this like seven times. There's been a yeah, lot. of can, teams.
1: can I give you one from last year? Remember the one seed Washington Wizards and coach mm-hmm. of the year, Wes Unsell Jr. Yeah. Like December one or somewhere in there, they were the one seed. They yeah. were atop the East yeah. and Wes was a clear coach of the year winner. Whoops. Not in the playoffs, not in the play-in, not in the picture. Yeah, so, so yeah, you, we got to let things settle a little bit. And the good thing is the market is going to have to react. They're going to have to make Unsell's number shorter. Yep. which is going to make some of these other numbers longer. So if you wait, you're going to get some numbers you like too.
0: So this goes very much in, in part and parcel with how I view the regular season. I pulled these numbers and Brandon's got them in front of him too. I wanted to basically look at splits for coaches in terms of building a win profile for what a coach of the year looks like. And so I pulled, everyone knows I like the, how do you perform versus teams less sub 500? Because I found this started when I started looking at the Spurs and was like, how the fuck do the Spurs get a top three seed every year, no matter what's going on. How is this possible? And what I noticed when I was looking through the standings was that POP would never have double digit losses versus sub 500 teams until the last couple of seasons, like every single year. And so then I started looking at it and what it came to, this has wobbled a little bit with the COVID stuff the last couple of years, but in the Western Conference in particular, if you had more than 10 losses versus teams under 500, you wouldn't be a four seed. You would not have home court, like just did not happen. And so that's become my bar for a lot of this is like, if you want to be a good team, beat the teams that are under 500. As an example, the coach of the year winners over the last 20 years average an 80, average an 83% win percentage versus teams under 500. This is how you build your regular season record. If you're wondering, so how do they do versus the good teams? Because we're talking about really elite squads here. The average is still higher than I would have thought it would be because a lot of times these are coin flips. It's 61%. Okay, there's a lot of ways to, to think about this. And so the what I would tell you my conclusion is you can't be shitty versus the good teams. Yeah. You can be not awesome because the median was like 64.5%, which is really high. The minimum was like 37%. There was a winner that won 37% of their games versus teams over 500. You very rarely can you be crappy versus the good teams and win this award because your win yeah. profile you won't be able to hit that 55 win range.
1: Yeah, the the Bulls up... from last year come to mind on that one. Remember, they had the, they had a great record and then just couldn't beat the top teams. And it just it adds up as the season goes on.
0: The reason I bring this up, if you're like, well, yeah, Matt, they need to win, the they need to beat the bad teams and beat the good teams. Thanks. What I'm telling you is, if you get to December 15th and you notice that one team is at like a 70% versus teams over 500, and they have a below 500 record versus the sub 500 teams, You need to be wary of them. That's Mm -hmm. a team that's likely going to be inconsistent. You want teams that are consistent. That's how you rack up regular season wins. One number I didn't pull from this, and I may do this before we start the season, is division record. Because whenever I'm talking about how to build a regular season record, my three pillars are: win your home games, beat the teams that are under 500, and win your division games. You do those three things, and you're going to make you're going to be a top. You're going to have home court. You just will. doesn't matter what you do versus anybody else, like road games, anything else, because I did actually pull this uh, coach of the year winners. Their average home win percentage is 78.3%. Their average road percentage is 60%. Win more road games than you lose. Right. Still high. Because a lot of these coaches, like we talked about, you have things in here, like Steve Kerr, absolutely busting this, this curve, right. With the 2016 (laughs) season. Right. Like, The Steve Kerr 2016 season, they won 91% of their home games and 75% of their road games. Like, it's absurd. (laughs) Um, But here's a good example of the sub-500 record. In 2018, Dwayne Casey with the Toronto Raptors, they only won 53% of their games versus 500 or better. But they won 95% of their games versus the bad team sub-500 and 80% of their home games. So that really does kind of tell you when you gets to be December or January or all-star break and you want to bet this award, I would tell you that you can find ways to track whether a team will be consistent the rest of the season or not by how they perform in these splits. I would tell you that if they're bad versus the good teams, but they played very few of them, nope, that's not a bet worth making if they're 500 versus the team versus the good teams, but they've played a lot of those and very few under 500 and have killed those teams, that's probably a guy to look for, especially if you're getting a good number. What do you think about that analysis?
1: Yeah, no, I think that that's really good to to me. My takeaway from those numbers is those 60% fifties, forties. Those are coin flips. Like, what What also that tells me is the coach of the year probably got a little lucky. They probably just got a little lucky and lucked yep. into a few extra wins because that's sport. sometimes you get lucky some years you don't yep. that's not predictable, and whether they are six and four in those games or four and six is not really telling me much. However, if I look and I see nine and one at home and and it too gotta be careful with the versus five hundred thing in December because who's above and below five hundred, we don't really know yet. You might have to. Project a little bit, you know, like, oh, this team is going to get there. But if I see a team that's really strong in home record and against sub 500 teams, or a team that's really weak in those two, I think those are the two numbers. I'm going to try to ignore the other ones because they're going to be mostly random and they're probably going to even out over time. But if I see those two numbers, that's a very strong profile to watch for. And I kind of take away too, to me, I talked about the defensive rating thing. For me, again, the way that I'm going to beat those sub-500 teams over and over, how did Pop beat all those teams every year? Defense. They played defense year after year. It's, just, it's not the only way, but it is a consistent way to just show up and grind out those ugly February random night wins against a bad team. Before we get
0: to our picks, I do you want to go ahead and dispel one myth that I've heard bandied about this award, which is they just pick the coaches that that, that give them good quotes and that are good to them. <laughs> okay. I will just tell you right now, this is bullshit. Monty Williams, phenomenal quote, incredible quote. Great to talk to. There's not a human being that's talked to Monty Williams. that doesn't feel like he connected with you and that he is like a great person. Okay. However, Tom Thibodeau, notorious pain in the ass. Notorious. Like Tibbs is growly and short and sometimes he'll give great answers and sometimes he's in a growly mood and is miserable about it. Uh, Nick nurse, pretty good. Okay. Mike Budenholzer, vanilla. It's man. Oh, it's not even vanilla. That's too, that's too kind. I like vanilla milkshakes. It's mayonnaise. <laughs> okay. Like I, I, I thought I thought Bud would be somebody great to talk X's nose with. And I lobbed him an X's nose question and he was insulted that I asked about it. Like he was basically just like, don't pretend like, you know, anything about coaching. Like that's it. And that's not just my experience. Bud's always been like perfectly kind to everybody. He's known as like a like good dude, good coach. But Bud is not the best friend of the media. He is not an awesome quote. Dwayne Casey, good, not awesome. Fine, he's fine. Uh, Mike D'Antoni is good, not yeah. awesome, good. Like Mike's just a good coach and he's just fun to be around. He's just, a, he's really funny is the thing with Mike D'Antoni. Steve Kerr, yes. Exceptional with the media, he used to work in media. Uh, Bud won again, same deal. Pop, come on guys. Come, he, No one, no one belittles us more than Greg Popovich. Now you can get good <laughs> stuff out of Pop if you know when to ask. But the best comment ever came from Jeff McDonald. He works for the San Antonio Express News. And somebody was asking him about like, well, how do you get the good answer? And he says, there's no way to. He either gives it to you or he doesn't. And there's no rhyme or reason. There's not a phrasing. You can ask him about it on one day and get a good answer. I would ask him about it on the next day and get a bad one or reversed it does not like there's nothing there um george carl one george was good with the media pop one again tibbs again scott brooks good with the media but not awesome my point is that none of these guys are like the best friends of the media none of them and there's a lot of guys in there that are growly and malcontents and they are guys that still get consideration for this award so do not think that it is influenced by how they treat the media because all most honestly most of the media that votes for the award is never going to talk to them outside of like listening to a scrum so I wouldn't get hooked on that. All right, Brandon, um, you and I each, I believe, we both have bets. You have yes. two. I do. And I so, have so
1: what's interesting that I noticed, so the way that I did the rules on this one, Coach of the Year is a little different than some of the other awards because there literally are only 30 humans who can win this award. And our criteria quickly rule out basically half of them and with a little more logic like you did you can say okay well this team was already too good they're probably out this team not quite there so basically I'm narrowing the list my rules are not telling me the answer they're telling me who's not the answer so it doesn't mean these are the only eight but my list came down to these eight teams and I that was interesting because I have three picks out of these eight you had three picks and they're off of my same list of eight teams so here are the eight in no particular order from the east we've got Boston Philly Cleveland that's it from the West, Denver, Minnesota, Portland, the Clippers, and the Pelicans. So I out of, out of these eight, I grouped two teams together, and you and I were texting about one of these teams earlier. I ruled out two of these teams on defensive reasons. The Blazers and the Pelicans are teams that I think are kind of in that low 40 range, and they could maybe get probably not a 60-win team. Could they get to 55? They could if the offense is as great as they can get there, the Blazers were my pick last year. They were one of my teams. I, I can't get there. I, I can't do it again. You can't do it again. We're not going to do the Blazers thing. I want to get there on the Pelicans. We've debated them a little bit. I think if things go well, they could be really good. Willie Green as a second-year coach. We said that's a good thing. Sell me on the defense, because I know that you like Willie Green here.
0: Yeah, so I like Willie Green. I'll give him out my picks. Um, well, I'll just go ahead and give him out right now. One of my picks is Willie Green, 18-1. to So, again, You compare Udoka at 7-1, to and I'm getting 18-1 to on Willie Green, and I don't think they're comparative coaches. The idea here is, okay, I'm I'm doing the the film work because I just finished up Houston. I'm going through the Southwest Division. I just finished up doing film work on Houston, film work and deep dive, and I'm starting on New Orleans. And the one thing, the biggest things that stand out is how inconsistent their roster was because of COVID and injuries. JV, Herb Jones, and Jose Alvarado. That combination of players is a really high level performance of defense. JV is just extremely solid. He's a drop big, like he's going to play drop. Okay. But in the regular season, we've talked about this consistently. You can get away from it. Monster rebounder. That's only going to get better with Zion. You've got Herb who I don't know that I've seen anybody on film that stands out to me like this. I'll be honest with you. Brandon Kawhi didn't pop like this to me. His first two seasons either. Wow. Like, I don't think that Herb Jones will ever be the player Kawhi Leonard is. But defensively, the instincts, the athleticism, the way that he just like, I've watched all of his steals. It's insane. It's insane, the recognition. Some of the stuff that he does, it's not just the, you can get a number of steals just by being a smart basketball player. It's why a lot of the bad defensive guards have good steal rates. James Hardman, okay? If you just like understand the court, you can know where to be and you can pick stuff off. It's the combination of that, his athleticism, and his effort level. Like, the guy just flat out demolishes plays. It's wild, okay? Alvarado had a really good defensive rating of 104 and he only started playing really late in the season. Now, he's not going to start. He's not going to play in a lot of these lineups. Like, what I'm basically arguing here is like a bench guard is going to wind up having a big impact on the defensive rating. I don't think that the, the, the defense can be good. I do think it can be better. To the point, and this is a point of contention between us, because you said, I said, I think they could have a top I don't think this is going to happen. I haven't come there yet. I'm I'm still doing the process on it. But I think they could have a top five offense and could have a top 15 defense. And you were like, then they're going to win all these. I'm like, no, I, I honestly think that you can have a top five offense and a top 15 defense, and you can still be like 47, 48, 45, maybe 50. Right? But it could all come together, and they win a bunch of their coin flip games, and they win 53, 55, and, be in, and win the division and satisfy all of our categories and wind up as the two seed and they're in Taylor Jenkins category and there's yes. no Phoenix that runs away from everybody next year. And then that sets up Willie Green as a potential winner. That's the idea.
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think it's a very strong idea. I, I'm with you. I think that they could be a top five offense. I think where I get a little stuck is I think they could be a top five offense. I think they could be a passable defense. The swing player both ways to me is Zion. And Zion is also the reason I'm not betting this right now. We talked about timing. There's no, this number is not going to move around. This is a team people are going to bet, but it's not going to move a ton. I got to see Zion play some basketball because I don't want this bet if I don't know for sure Zion looks ready to go. Here's the problem for me. Zion has to be heavily in the equation for them to be a top five offense, surely. like He's got to be full year Zion, but Zion in that formula is not a good defensive player, and now you're going to have a lot of C.J. Ingram, Zion on the court, and now you got to take Valentinus out of the equation, and there's no rim. Like, it's, I don't know how you get both. Either you get the awesome offense because Zion, but now he's out there a lot, and I don't know how the defense pairs up. So, to me, I can see it. I I see it in the mix. I think it's one where I would want to wait for that December, like we talked about, and kind of see, is it building?
0: I don't love this picket. Like, I'm not like, this is a lock, and I'm just, like, pouring it. It's a plus 1,800 flyer. I like the other two picks a lot more. So give me one of your two.
1: Okay, so I'm going to do a team that I have as a one seed. So a couple other teams I'm not playing here. We talked about Celtics and why. Basically, you have to have the perfect Celtics season. If they do, Udoku will win, end of podcast. We don't have to bet on a perfect season. Clippers are kind of similar. You talked about them. To me, the reason I'm not betting Clippers is because if they really win 63, 65 games, Now we got an MVP argument, and we're going to give that instead of Coach of the Year. I do like the Philadelphia 76ers. I like Doc Rivers. So the bar is a little bit lower for them right now. Their line, I think, is at 49.5, so they can get to about 60-ish wins. They don't necessarily have to get to 65. That's a big difference. Doc has won previously. We've had coaches, I believe there are nine coaches, who have won Coach of the Year multiple times with different franchises. Doc won in 2000, so it's been a minute. But, you know, we did just give the guy top 15 all-time coach in the awards last year. We know the media likes stock. That certainly doesn't hurt. This, to me, is a team that I think can be the number one defense. We, we like them. We've talked about Philadelphia. We're talking about them a lot. I like their divisions uh, play. I, they brought in P.J. Tucker. They brought in D'Anthony Melton, Daniel House. Embiid is going to be a good defender and hold the back line. I think that the other guy, I think Maxi and Tobias can be solid defenders with so many other guys around them. Matisse Thibel obviously is in the mix. And also, we get a lot more James Harden games this year. The question is, well, why isn't Philadelphia the same ruled out as the other ways? Wouldn't just Joel Embiid win MVP or something? Well, he didn't the last two years and was pretty good. And I think, too, there is a very easy scenario here that could help Doc Rivers. What if Joel misses a month of basketball and the Sixers have James Harden and play good defense and just keep on winning, that's a really easy narrative for coach of the year that one of those guys misses a little stretch and they just keep on winning because, hey, the coach is really getting this team together. I think that this is a one seed possibility in the East, plus 3,000 at points by right now for Doc Rivers. So that is one of my two picks I like the best.
0: I feel like you, me, and our former colleague at the now at the ringer, Raheem Palmer, are in a who can up the Sixers the most contest over <laughs> the offseason. Uh, so here's my thing. I'm high on the Sixers. I really like their team performance bets. You're very big on tying the team performance to the awards, which I get and is logically sound. I can't get there on a number of reasons. I don't think Joel is going to win defensive player of the year. And I don't think Doc's going to win coach of the year. And one of the reasons um, I'll I'll, talk about coach of the year specifically. So coach of the year, there is a reputational issue that is going to dog him. He is not considered a great coach right now, which is crazy a little bit, given his long term success in the league, how often his teams have made the playoffs, been a high seed, been a contender throughout from franchise to franchise from Boston to the Clippers to the Sixers he's had all this success. but like he was there was a lot of talk about him getting fired going into the season. I don't know a scenario where you can trace the performance of the team and go that guy did it. You can do that with uninspiring coaches like Mike Budenholzer. and there's a lot of people that don't think Steve Kerr is is impressive. they're idiots but there's a lot of people that think that <laughs> you can very clearly like trace the warrior success back to Steve Kerr. Okay, uh, Nick Nurse, same deal. Like, I do, tell me what a season looks like where you're able to identify. You know what was different yeah. about the Sixers this year, Doc? Because the wins, you're right. That's the platform. But there does we've seen teams have high win ceilings, high win performances and their guy not win coach of the year. We've seen that before. So I need you to tell me what would get the voters to link the two instead of just going like Joel's the MVP.
1: Uh, for me, it's the defense, because that if, if you ask, okay, well, what is Doc Rivers good at? You're going to get different answers, but the one thing people remember is Doc's defense with the Celtics when they won. And if you can put together defense that, it, that you've got MB being a star, you've got Harden doing his thing, and now you add in this elite like Celtics from last year type defense, not necessarily that was historically great, but a a truly great defense. I think that Doc would get a lot of credit for that because that's his reputation already as being this defensive guy. So to me, the defensive identity is what I see that I think Doc would get the credit for. Not the offense, but it's the defense. Then explain
0: to me the 11th performance last season. They were 11th in defensive rating on dunks and threes last season.
1: Yeah, but the, the whole thing is that we're adding these guys, PJ you're Tucker. Adding, and, yeah, you're adding, like, I can't
0: see. And that's where I think the difference is. It's like, I, I can get to their overall, because I think their offense is going to be killer. I can't get to PJ Tucker, Daniel House, and the Anthony Melton moving you from 11 to 1. I can't get there.
1: Well, that's fair. I, I mean, it's, it's definitely a jump. And, you know, one obviously is usually an outlier, anyways. But part of that,
0: part of that too is because of like, they, they didn't look great defensively. And yeah. a lot of that's just like I guess here's the the real big thing, Brandon, to follow that if we're looking at okay, we're doing all these rules fifty five wins and jump and blah blah, blah blah, can you you essentially have to break this rule? I'm going to bet on a team with James Harden to be
1: number one in defense. <laughs> yeah, that, when you put it that way, that's that's not a fun feeling. So that, that's yeah. fair. Let's. Uh, I know I know that your local team there in Colorado you like here. So tell me about Michael Malone.
0: So Michael Malone. 14 to one and I'll tell you the the buzz out of Denver is really good at getting into preseason. If you want to wait, I don't mind, by the way, on these bets, wait, you're going to hear this a lot from me that you actually learn more in preseason than I used to think. And if you get into preseason, you'll hear like the buzz is good or like beat writers will be like this, this team's going to whip ass. Um, I think the nuggets are going to whip ass this year. You look at it and you go, he's perfectly set up for expectations. Right. They they go over last year at 48, but with all the injuries, their performance level was capped. They get back MPJ and Jamal, which that's going to be the counter argument for people being like, wait, 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 they get yeah. back to MPJ and Jamal and suddenly he's coach of the year. But people are just going to be like, Yeah, but look at how he made them all fit. Like, look at how well this team goes together. Defensively, I think is the question mark here. I don't know that I can I can't sit here and convince you that they're gonna be like I've, if you told me they ended up as a top five defense, I would be like, well, one, I should be betting the, the Nuggets to win the NBA title. But two, <laughs> yeah. um, I could, it, it doesn't seem categorically insane to me statistically. It seems like one of those things where we're going to be like, they're a top five defense statistically, but nobody thinks of them as a top five defense. That sounds about fair. But look, they have added two plus defenders in Contavious Caldwell Pope and Bruce Brown. Like those are two plus defenders that help with their versatility. They have much better depth. And my big thing when talking about their defense is this, their offense is going to be so good. The opponent's going to be taking the ball out of the bucket every single time, like at such a high rate, they're going to be able to get their defense set consistently. There's weak spots. Backup center is an issue. Point guards a little bit on the fritz, especially Kong Gillespie who's supposed to be their third point guard. He goes down with a fractured leg or fourth point guard really behind Ish Smith. There's enough depth. Jamal Murray's going to have to miss some time. Bones Highland has a history of ankle injuries. I could do this with any team. But when we look at like the overall ceiling performance, if we go, the Nuggets are going to make a huge jump. Who's going to get credit for it? Who's going to be like, if you think that the Nuggets could wind up being the one seed, which I do, who gets credit for it? It's not going to be Joker. Can't win three MVPs in a row. Nobody's done it since Bird and his usage is going to go down. Not going to be Jamal Murray. Not going to be MPJ. Not going to be Aaron Gordon the most likely candidate to actually reward that is Michael Malone, who by the way, his team has gone over their win total every single year, except for 2020 because of the season truncation every other year, they've gone over their win total, including last year without two starters, 49 and win total. He fits the category 55 wins seems extremely doable for this nuggets team. I love Michael Malone at plus 1400.
1: I like it. I, I really don't have much to add to it. Um, I, I think that this can be an alternative to, holy crap, Jokic was amazing again, but we can't give him a third MVP. We got to reward the team somehow. So I think that that's in play. I absolutely think this could be a one seed. Michael Malone, coach of the year, reminds me a lot of Monty Williams, coach of the year. Like, I think that's a really good candidate. If you're looking for what did we just vote for, I think that's a very good example of it. my only hesitation this would probably be if we were drafting these this would be my like fifth pick for coach of the year odds I think it's very much in play I just think the reason not to credit him is so apparent because you've got the back-to-back MVP and you have two all-star basically coming back from injury and it's just it's then it's going to be hard to build that narrative but I think he'll be I very much could see him being on the ballot he could win
0: I'll tell you this if you're like if you if you say well, I think the Nuggets could be better, but I don't think they're they're going to be the one seed. I don't think they're gonna, they're going to win fifty eight plus. Then don't bet this. This is literally like yep. this is betting the this is betting the Nuggets to be the one seed in the West at a longer yep. number. That's yep. what this is exactly yeah. So. yeah,
1: and that's that's essentially that's my Philadelphia bet. We're, we're we're taking two teams that everyone knows are good that are like three four five seeds and saying nope. I think this is a one seed. And if you like that bet, this is a better way to do that.
0: Let me give you uh, one more, and then we'll get to your last one. Uh, by the way, in typical stances, I'm all like, look at me. I took three that are 13 to one or higher. And both (laughs) of yours are 30 to one or higher because Brandon deals in long shots. Uh, My third one is one that obviously you were not going to like, but it's your Minnesota Timberwolves and Chris Finch. uh, Second let's let's, he was hired mid season. This is fibbing it a little bit. The second full season. So he fits into that category. The win totals fits into that category of that 40 to 50 range. I went back and I looked at the top 10 defensive efficiency pairings for two man lineups last season, minimum 500 minutes. So to put that in English, what combinations of two players were awesome defensively that played a certain number of minutes? The Jazz had five of them because Rudy Gobert (laughs) just does that in the regular season. There's nothing about the Timberwolves that convinces me that their perimeter defense is worse than what Utah's was last year. By the end of the year last year, I mean the Jazz fans started complaining to me about this in 2020 in the the, the bubble, and then a lot more in 2021, and then even more in 2022. Conley slid, Mitchell slid, Royce O'Neal slid, Joe Ingles slid before he got hurt. Jordan Clarkson was bad. There wasn't a single plus defender on that team outside of Daniel House. Like there just wasn't a plus perimeter defender. D'Angelo Russell is not one. I would probably put D'Lo a little bit above some guys on the on the on the Jazz list. I would definitely give Anthony Edwards an advantage there. I would definitely give Jaden McDaniels an advantage there. I would definitely give Jordan McLaughlin an advantage there. A lot of the perimeter defenders for for, for Minnesota. To me or above that, I think Rudy pencils you in for no worse than seventh with the upside of being like the number three. The offense is still going to cook because they just have so much freaking power, firepower. Finch is an exceptional coach. Tell me why I shouldn't bet Chris Finch at 13 to one to win coach of the year next season.
1: I'm going to surprise you. If I just follow my rules and my, my whole thing here, Chris Finch, Minnesota would be a bullseye and my number one pick on the list. We're going to do our Minnesota debate another day. Well, we'll come back to this because we're we're, we're going long here. I don't I I don't have the same ceiling as you do, offense or defense on this team. But I, I I have identified. I told you two bets. I actually have three. Chris Finch is in my three here. Here's my one thing that I would say to this. It's not a bet for me because I'm just not quite as high on the team. But it fits exactly the profile we're talking about. He's the young new coach on the team. He's a hot name. The Wolves absolutely profile as a very good regular season team, that is what we've seen Rudy go bear teams all these years in a row. It makes a lot of sense. They have a possible top 10 offense, possible top 10 defense. My only thing is this. I don't love the number at 13 to one. That won't surprise you. I like my long shots. I would wait on Minnesota. I would wait for like that December range because I don't know that I buy the defense, but if it gets there, it's going to be Chris Finch pulling all the strings to get it all working. But I do think it will take some time. They're going to be a very different defense than what they did last year. And if the, I, maybe they get Cat there. Maybe they get Amped and and McDaniels. Maybe they get there, and maybe you're right. But I think it's going to take some bumps the first few weeks as they're learning new schemes and roles and everything. I feel like I don't want to bet Minnesota things now because I'm probably going to get a better number a month or two in. what do you think about that
0: the risk and we're going to break down the schedule when it comes out here either next week yeah. or the week after i'm hearing maybe the week after next we'll break that down that i think is going to depend on a lot of this if the schedule is front loaded with easy teams if it's uh if it is a sorry if it's a back heavy schedule where they play the tough teams later in the year and it's easy up front i can see them jumping out even as they try and get used to stuff this is anecdotal. I feel like a lot of times when we're like, well, it's going to take some time for them to figure this out. Either they figure it out or they don't. And the idea of them like adjusting and getting better doesn't really happen. Um, It is another reason why this is probably value on this. Cause if you're just like, look, it's not that hard for them to figure this out together. If they do, it's good. There's going to be a lot of conversation amongst media guys have been like, he figured out how to play Rudy Gobert and cat together and have a top five defense. That's enough for me. Right. Very easy narrative to kind of latch on to. Um, So to me, I think there's value now. I don't, think there's, I don't think there's any harm in waiting. Like all of these were betting without any knowledge of what these are going to look like. There's injuries that are going to happen in training camp. We don't know what the schedule is. So this is our, for if you want to bet it now, Yeah, I think Ryan Finch has great value. All of these guys will have better value on December 15th. Who's your last pick?
1: So my last pick is my favorite. And it's a guy that we talked about earlier in the year, a guy that I thought should have been in the running for this last coach of the year, going with JB Bickerstaff and the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is a team we're going to keep talking about because this basically when I'm betting coach of the year, I'm betting on overachiever team. So of course, if I like Philadelphia for divisions and number one, seeing everything else, I'm going to like them here. I like the Cavs this year. And it comes back to that defense thing I talked about. I want a top six defense. That's why I like Philadelphia. That's what I like about Cleveland. I'm assuming that we're going to get Mobley and Allen more games out of them this year. They've got Darius Garland should get a few more games this year. He was hurt last year. I noticed, you know, Zach Lowe's podcast last week. He had uh, Cleveland in the mix with Miami and I forget one other team, Phoenix, I think, as the the stand pat teams. I don't think of Cleveland as a stand pat team. I think that this team is a lot better than last year. They brought in guys like Rubio and Robin Lopez, who I think are going to really help out the bench. Cleveland played a bunch of guys that like y- you don't listen or you don't know who these people are. <laughs> like Lamar Stevens is getting big minutes and like Isaac Okoro is not going to be – almost leading in minutes as a starter, just replacing bad players, bad NBA players with competent ones, more Karis Levert, maybe still Colin Sexton if they bring him back. These aren't stars, but just raising the floor of what the offense can be. Great defense. This team does not have an MVP candidate. So even if the Cavs are really, really good, there's not an MVP there. They're going to want to reward the team. Coach of the year is the perfect way. The bar is lower here because of the way that they won last year and the the Vegas number is lower. By my formula, we only need 54 wins from the Cavs. That is extremely in play to me. We don't need a one-seed perfect season from Cleveland like we did with Philly or with Denver. Minnesota, we don't need that either, but this is my version of Minnesota. This is my sleeper. I think this team's defense could be really good. The question mark is the offense. Can they get enough offense? We'll see. There's a lot in Darius Garland here, but I'm getting this... Got to shop around. DraftKings twenty-two to one. Bat Rivers forty to one. Forty to one. JB Bickerstaff. I think he has a good chance as any coach at this one. This is one of my favorite award picks.
0: What? What's the number you think they have to get to?
1: Uh, Fifty-four wins.
0: Oh boy. <sighs> <laughs> so the problem here is is you're going on the defensive side, which I get. I totally understand it. They were twentieth in offensive rating. I dunked some. Yeah, days. it's not great. And I, I know the injuries played a part, but their offense was never good. It was never, like, they were just getting by on defense and tough buckets
1: from Darius. Carter. You're right, but but the, to me, the offense, I don't, it's, the offense is not going to be great, but adding, the, adding Rubio, adding more Levert, adding possibly Sexton, yeah. that's where the, the offense can go from 20th to 12th or 15th or something like that, enough if the defense really is that good. Yeah, one
0: concern I have And I have a, you can slot Minnesota into this bucket. And I, I can't disagree, but I just don't consider them to be kind of the same because of the star power that's on them. We have these teams that do occasionally spike that they just, they hit it one year and everyone's like, wow, I guess they're good. And then the next year it's like, Oh no, no, wait. They're, they're still bad. The Suns when they made that, that, that playoff, that near playoff run in the mid 2000s. three point guard team. Yeah. Like, Well, before that, like they then they traded for the three point guard team and they're like, oh, they're like ready. And then it didn't work and it collapsed. Right.
1: The Kings, every time the Kings pretend to be good and then the Kings again.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And we're like, oh, no, this is the like the Kings are in the right direction. They're going to get over the. No, they got worse again. I loved Cleveland last year. I I just do kind of worry that it may have been lightning in a bottle. And I love J.B. Bickerstaff a lot as a coach. The problem, and one of the reasons I took the under on them last year, he had gone under on his win total every year before last year (laughs) when they cleared their win total by January, right? So, like, it's not that I don't believe in Cleveland. I do. It's that there are enough of these things for me to be like, I want to see it. I think this is a great December pick. Where if they're top ten in defense that first month of the season, and you're like, hey, like they're right back to where they were. This team was on pay on pace to be a top four seed last year before the injuries hit. They had terrible luck last year. Like you mentioned, Rubio, Rubio's gonna be out until probably late in the year. You know, as a backup, Sexton is coming in with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he's he's basically unwanted in restricted free agency and trade. Like they've tried to move him, and nobody wants him. (laughs) Like. That and that causes a little bit of tension here too, where I go. This should be Darius Garland's team. Is Colin Sexton on board with that? Because Darius Garland was the one that put it up, like put up last year, and was like, "I'm the guy." Like he was clutch as yeah. last year. You got Karis Averts injury history. There's enough there to where like you are staking your claim on the Cavs. You you got on this early where you think that they're going to be really good and they're going to be a top four seed and they're going to be in this kind of range, forty to one. I can't argue with the value. Yeah. Right. Just like I can't. I think it's the same as as Willie Green at, at 18 to one where it's like, OK, maybe not. But at 18 to one, we've got the yeah. I can't get there. And that's that's OK, because you've got two picks and I got three picks. and yeah. We got five five guys out of 30. I think that's a pretty good ratio.
1: Yeah. Well, yes. and, and let me add this just to push back. One thing is I think a difference between, you know, you talked about I, I love my long shots. Your Yours are not short odds, but they're kind of mid range bets. If you if you like Philadelphia, but especially if you like Cleveland, you said wait for December. And then if the Cavs look good, if the defense is that good again, the SRS and all those things, if it looks good again, now bet Cleveland. You can, but you're not getting anything close to 40 to one then. You're gonna get like a, a 15 or a 12 or a 10 to one. If you like Cleveland, like for me, this is this is why I like the long shots now, because I'm grabbing numbers right now that I know I'm never getting a better number than this. Like Cleveland, either Cleveland is awful, and I guess the number is there you don't want anymore. If the number gets worse, it's because you don't want Cleveland anymore. Yeah, but I think if, so, if it's
0: but I think if it's December fifteenth and it's fifteen to one, I still think you've got great value. Yeah, I do too. The but I'd rather have the forty. To it's just not as good as forty.
1: You have so much That's, more knowledge then. But but I can because I'm playing these longer shots. It gives me more freedom to add who add Chris Finch in December or add Willie Green in December. <laughs> whose lines drop from like 18 to 12 or 15 to 10, I'm not losing as much value. So I'd rather grab the longer guys now to like, this is my version of building the portfolio. I get the long guys and then it gives me the spot to say, okay, like, look, last year, my long guy was Chauncey Billups. Didn't go well for me. He didn't have any value. My other long guy was Ime Odoka. Didn't go well for a couple of months. And all of a sudden it was a very valuable ticket that had a real chance late. So but I was able to add to the position during the year because I just had these kind of light plays on the on the long shots. So don't, I think don't it's, say that it's a timing that,
0: thing. Don't say this is your version of building a portfolio. This is you building a position. That yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So that's I, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're on board. Build more positions. That's my thing. <laughs> more. That's always what i subscribe to all right let's wrap it up for coach of the year We're back next week as we continue discussions on the awards get you set for everything uh we will if the schedule is announced we'll do an emergency episode that breaks down the nba schedule with reactions from a betting perspective follow us on twitter i'm at hp basketball brandon's on twitter at wheaton brando you can follow us both in the action network app until next time leave us those five-star reviews thanks so much for listening and let's get buckets